Hello and welcome back to An Abundance of Thrones. Brad's getting explicit early. Garrett here with Wade as well. Hello. This is a weekly podcast following the Game of Thrones season. This particular one is season five following episode two, The House of Black and White. And if you couldn't tell, this is an explicit podcast. (laughs) If you caught that that early, yes. Yeah, so... um, just like the show is explicit, so is our podcast. If you don't like that, you are welcome to go somewhere else. Also, spoiler alert, we will be discussing this week's episode. If you have not watched it and do not want to know what happens, turn the podcast off. Go watch the show and then come back. That's correct. We will be following the or going through the episode in its entirety. This is not uh, purely a highlight reel, so... Uh, we do encourage you to get the initial education through the show and then see what we have to say following. That being said, uh, what do you guys think of this episode? I think it's good. We're, we're getting into the action early. Um, I felt like last season started kind of slow. It took a couple episodes to get into it here. Even halfway through episode one, where we're really getting into it, and episode two did not disappoint. It's interesting because uh, the premiere episode on Rotten Tomatoes got a hundred percent critic rating. <laughs> episode nice. two got ninety-five. Um, still, still respectable. Very much respectable. Yeah, I agree with you. I think previous seasons they spent more time kind of getting us reacclimated to the world that we're in, whereas this season, episode one, felt like it did that, and episode two. Uh, it's getting thick. So I feel the next couple episodes really should be entertaining. Well, as was this one. Yeah, but as far as an action sequence and whatnot, uh, we've had a lot of things happen this episode that I'm really curious to see what the fallout is. And we'll get to that. Um, in the the meat and grit of this episode, just for uh, those who want to know a little bit more in the back... Uh, director again Michael Slovis who did direct episode 1 um, and it, writers for this episode was the Double D's David Benioff and D.B. Weiss surprisingly uh, episode 2 had a pretty major hit in viewers down to 6.8 million from 8 million last week wow yeah <clears throat> um, so I'm not sure what's going on with that that's pretty interesting maybe we had a lot of um, new faces for the premiere that were testing the waters and maybe some felt it wasn't for them, but 6.8 is still less than the season four finale. So that's, that's a little surprising. I wonder though, uh, I'm going to bang this drum again. Generally when they release these numbers, it's for the 24 hour period following the release. Correct. And I, and I wonder how much we're seeing again, the effect of HBO now. Yeah, and I was thinking that exact thing. I think actually I don't the viewers... have to watch it when it premieres. Hey, I can come back to this tomorrow. Yeah, but I think the the viewership numbers, if I read it correctly on Wikipedia, which is always true, obviously, is That's that right. it's truly looking at the uh, air date uh, and time. It is looking at that nine o'clock Eastern showing, right? Um, pure, pure and simple that time period. So okay. Um, again, that's what Wikipedia says. That doesn't necessarily make it true. Do these people so, just watching it, just these particular episodes, just so they said they can? Do they, you know, friends go, oh, did you catch the season premiere of Game of Thrones? And they go, oh, yeah. Then, and then, or catch a thing just to stay quote unquote hip. I don't, I Maybe. don't think people are trying that hard. Uh, but I think a 1.2 million viewership hit. Something had to be going on. Um, I don't know if there's just a thought baseball conflict or what, you know, who knows? Um, okay. Getting into the episode now, we'll start off with the opening sequence. Uh, Brad, do you want to give us a run through there? Sure. So the opening sequence, we have that beautiful flyover. Uh, we visit King's Landing, the eerie Winterfell with the, uh, Flayed Man, right? Correct. Of House uh, the Bolton. Wall and Castle Black, Bravos and Mirene. Yeah, I was a little disappointed by the opening sequence. Um, yeah. For a couple of reasons. We've seen throughout this show 
that they will make little adjustments to key areas. Case in point, Winterfell. Uh, and what was it, season two or three maybe, uh, where Winterfell was under siege, the opening sequence showed it in flames. Now it yep. shows it with the banner of the flayed man. And the opening uh, series premiere this this season, we saw them tear down the harpy from Marine, and yet the harpy was still in the opening animation. So I, I was kind of bummed by that. Yeah, it's it's not big stuff. I mean, we're harping on the opening title sequence, but it's stuff that they have built up before. The this level of quality. Yeah, they've sent the president. Exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and now it's we're we're looking for this now, and it's like you know, hey, come on. And there was one other thing definitely missing from the opening sequence. I think I know what you're referring to. Well, then Dorn. Dorn. Yep. Uh, we will get into it here in a little bit, but we did visit Dorne during the episode, yet it is not shown in the opening sequence. I think so, that was yeah. a little more of a hook. No, but they've done that before where they, you know, the first time you go somewhere, it's in the opening. You have to pay attention to the opening to see where you're going to visit. We just got done saying how we were bummed they didn't do certain things. But they've the- set the precedence and the expectation to the viewers that the opening is not just a cut and paste deal. I understand that, but did we really need to see that that little snippet in Dorn? Not really. This, I think this was more of a hook to say, hey, things are starting to rumble in Dorn. But we visited it in the show, and it wasn't in the opening sequence. But there That's wasn't the really much of importance. The water gardens. On. It's been mentioned in multiple seasons now. Well, in this okay, episode. But, but what Wade's saying is we didn't spend any significant time there. I It it, it felt to me like... <clears throat> I'd have to go back and rewatch the opening for episode one, but it, it looked like they reused the opening. Like, um, oops, wrong file, guys. <laughs> it's it's plausible. <laughs> I mean, it's very true. No, there was, I don't believe there was any variation from episode one to episode two. Um, okay, so we leave the opening credits and we come right into Bravos, or uh, some may prefer the world R of Bravos. Uh, this, we get to see Arya coming into the harbor, greeted by the Titan of Bravos. Trying really hard to be brave. She, she's not afraid. She's. <laughs> I'm. I'm not sure if she's trying to convince the captain or herself. Yeah, that's sword true. on hand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her hand yeah. on sword. Sorry, hand, hand on the sword. Well, she's got. You know, she's tied to the sword. She's lost it throughout the show, and uh, she wants to make sure she doesn't lose it again. Absolutely. Uh, so the the ship captain gives her a little story about the Titan. And then the Titan gives a booming yell to greet the ship and announce their arrival. And finally, in Bravos at this point, we are introduced to the House of Black and White. Either one of you, feel yeah. free to chime in. Anytime. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice chime. You guys, you guys both Really suck. nice chime there. Um, Sorry, he just left that open. Yeah, you know, you couldn't resist. So, you know, she knocks on the door and 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 is greeted somewhat. Yeah, greeted is a strong word. <laughs> greeted is a misleading. You know, it's more a case of what the heck do you yeah. What are you selling? I don't want any Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck out of here, kid. So, you know, she presents her coin and says her words. And is essentially left to rot on the step. And yes, yes, she is. Yeah. So <clears throat> obviously, this is part of, a, and well, maybe not obviously, part of an entrance exam. Yeah, this, you know, they're not going to let just anybody in. Yeah, I definitely saw this as a test. You know, how bad do you want it? Um, you know, are you just going to sit here and beg, or are you going to just run away, or whatever? And now, my interpretation, though, is all the times we heard the prayer, which I'll talk about here in just a second, but I took that to interpret, um, uh, in a sort of way, how many nights she was there. I mean, she said the prayer before she went to sleep, and we got her saying the prayer, what, five, six times? Is that being a little too presumptuous for me? We saw the weather change. We saw it from night to day at least once. <coughs> Pardon me. <laughs> 
Yeah, Brad's dying. Um, so, yeah, I'm dying. Sorry, I'm fighting a, a sinus infection. So. He was sitting out on the steps. He was sitting on the steps of... I was sitting on the steps <laughs> with Aria, raining. and I'm dying. Aria um, took up the only... <laughs> <laughs> she took the shelter spot. and kicked me out, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> so, you are correct as far as canon goes. She says this at night before she goes to sleep. I was kind of confused, though. There was alternating light sequences. I mean, she was saying it during the broad daylight, almost like she was saying it constantly from boredom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The thing that struck me about her list was how short it's got. Yes. I was just going to make that same point. It is getting shorter and shorter. But there are still some deaths apparently she doesn't know about. Well, like who? Well, the mountain mountain isn't quite dead. dead. Didn't you say it was poison whatever that's right unless you see a corpse he's not technically dead exactly yeah if we haven't seen him dead he is not dead yet that's correct the uh last we saw him he was laying on what we can assume is maybe his deathbed and i believe it was kyburn saying that he might be able to save him correct but that he was poisoned and that's the last we heard Blood, blood transfusion okay Pretty much. Um, okay, moving on from Bravos at this point. So we find ourselves along a road. I'm kind of assuming it's the King's Road, but I don't know for sure. It may not be. Um. Yeah, we I saw in, quite... we saw in episode one where they talked, where Podrick was saying that they were a couple days ride away from the King's Road. Right. So yeah, it's unsure whether they're. We're truly on the King's Road here or not. But we end, we find ourselves in an inn where Brienne is, and, and please pronounce that properly, damn it. Brienne is uh, quite despondent. Yeah, she's not very happy. Well, uh, why? <laughs> well, before we get to that, uh, a couple things I want to maybe call attention to. Up until now, we've been under the impression that the whole countryside is warstruck and there's not really many places that offer uh, safe refuge. At least that's kind of what we've been shown up to this point. And we get to this particular inn. It's quite popular and people seem to be having a decent time. And coincidentally... Brienne and Podrick just happen to be at the same inn as Peter Baelish and Sansa? Out of all the inns? Well, they did, uh, you know, cross paths very closely in the last episode. We commented on how close they were. Yes. And she did actually speak about seeing their carriage on the on the road. They did not see. They did not, They saw that a carriage was coming. They had no idea who it was. Brienne did speak of seeing their carriage on the road. That was when they left the inn. Was it? Yes. Yeah, she watched which way they went. Okay. That was when they were being chased by horseback through the woods, and she caught them going off on another road so that they would be able to follow in this episode, but not in the previous episode. Alrighty then. So Uh, so it's kind of just coincidental. Purely coincidental, which is kind of like, wow, really? Like... You stumbled onto Arya in the last season, just out of the blue in the middle of some freaking mountainous pass. Couple days, here we go again. And then you stumble upon Sansa in this inn, you know, out of no real powers of deduction or, or looking. You just happen to be in the same room. Yeah, so um, I don't know if it's kind of lazy writing or if there's a force at work behind the scenes you thinking maybe the uh the eyes of the seven have a hand in this maybe or the one true god of light and fire or the old gods maybe the weirwood tree well you know that is the gods of the starks that is true um so we get a nice little confrontation where uh, Brienne tries to pledge herself to Sansa after being pledged to Catelyn. And <laughs> Baelish and points Sandra. out some Sa- very interesting little quirks about Brienne's past. 
Dana shuts yes. it down. Yeah, her resume is not very strong. No. Even and I believe we commented on this last time as well. Yeah. Um, and also another a kind of interesting point is that in season three, I believe it was, uh, Renly had talked about Brienne's loyalty uh, coming uh, without price or question. And Baelish points out that someone appears to have paid heavily for her her loyalty this time around. Even though the armor and the sword were a gift from from uh, Jamie. Jamie yep. They weren't a bribe, they weren't a, a a payment. They were a gift for, you know, sort of keeping him alive and kind of showing us the audience that, you know, there's there may be more to Jamie than we've been led to believe up to that point. Well, it seemed almost like a guilty conscience gift. Yeah. Uh, but there was a conscience in order to feel guilty about it, though. Absolutely. So there's that. And Sansa very handily tells Brienne to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You can go pound sand. Thanks. Yeah. And we follow with a nice little horse chase, and Podrick can't ride a horse to save his life. Brienne has to Before save Before we the get day. there, the oh. one thing that stood out at me... Okay. And here, here, here we talk about, and it's been mentioned about um, Brienne's strength... She, one swing destroys the horse um, yes. tie. Now, you could put that against the Valerian steel sword because they are sharp and hold their blade. Or you could True. look at it as the fact that she is a massive woman and holds her own against many, many men. Continuing, But on even with fact, Valerian steel, you need somebody who knows how to wield it. Agreed. No argument what there. What were you saying, Wade? Continue on that fact, even which adds credence to it. When she's fighting the guy on horseback, yeah, she shatters that his sword like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She just cuts right through the sword. Um, on the way out of the inn, she gets a guard running, you know, essentially right into her blade. Yep. Um. So yeah, we, we get this nice little chase. We get to see um, Podrick fail at yet another thing in life. Granted, he's probably done better than any three of us would, would do. He's still alive. He's, he's in Westeros. That. That's saying a lot. That is true, <laughs> considering. It looked like, now, was it just me, or did he have a little bit of an eye for the uh, the barmaid pouring the ale? No, no, he he fancied her. <laughs> he fancied her a lot. It could have been poor yeah, writing. She doesn't, just she so doesn't know looked. how good he is in the brothels. That's right. She probably doesn't want to know. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. Um. Okay, so we. We return switch to scenes. What? I said switch scenes. I was getting there. You interrupted. Going back to King's Landing, we are visited with Jamie entering a room with Cersei, and a very interesting box is on the desk in front of her. I thought that was kind of cool the way it opens itself. <laughs> really cool. I want one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just send like snakehead boxes to people. Just be like, what's up? Yeah. Have it on my. I wonder if uh, they're. I wonder if they're for sale at uh, Shop of Thrones. Shop of. Uh, I don't know. We are not in, <laughs> paid by. <laughs> we are not endorsed <laughs> by Game of Thrones or HBO affiliations. Please. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Please shop at Amazon for your Game of Thrones uh, paraphernalia. Memorabilia. Paraphernalia. Yeah. I like it. Um. So yeah, <laughs> we uh we're told to we're told to interpret this gift as a threat as it contains one of two necklaces. And the only people who have those would be Cersei and Marcella. Cersei didn't seem very thrilled by Jamie's uh, analysis of the situation. Uh, go, go on. <laughs> it, it, it's a threat. Of course it's a fucking threat. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <clears throat> you know, and, and, and... Apparently all your brains were in that one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and he tries to keep her calm and quiet because she is mouthing off. And apparently she has given her last fuck. Uh, she just yes. does not care anymore. I believe that to be a valid statement. Um, so Jamie volunteers himself for a sensitive mission. He will be going to Dorne, not alone, but not with an army. He won't be asking any questions and he's going to come home with Marcella. 
This should be interesting. That about sums that up. Uh, but he needs help for this. He needs help for this. So we move to Stokeworth, where we're visited by... Braun and Lollies. Lollies. Braun's be- betrothed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely not beloved. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I betrothed. Mean, he's kind to her. Uh, I mean, he's ignoring her most of the time, but he points yeah. out that your sister's a mean person and mean people tend to get what they deserve. Well, because he's willing to kill her to get the castle. <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of figured that too, but... Eventually, after um, we marry, I'll just murder her. So we get to see Bronze full title here now. He has been knighted, as we've seen in the past. Uh, and he is Sir Bronze of Blackwater. Yes. Apparently that's how they get their surnames in Westeros, uh, where you serve to get your knighthood. We are educated by Lollis, Lollies, sorry, about her older sister, and she's the one to inherit the grand castle that Bronn mistakenly thought that he would uh, <laughs> occupy. occupy upon marriage. Thank you. Not so fast. <laughs> Wait a second. Not today. So, I'm sure you guys were able to pick up on it just from the acting, which, again, Game of Thrones, the actors and actresses are top-notch. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think it's ever specifically spelled out in the books. It does mention that Lawless is, uh, shall we say, a little slower than normal. Yeah, not not the sharpest dagger in the belt. But her mouth yes. has a lot of words. <laughs> it doesn't stop her from shutting up, though. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're visited by a one-handed Lannister informing Bronn that you, can you know, still have I have better. good news for you. <laughs> you can, yeah. you can still have it better. Just so after the news, you're not of... going to get this girl or this castle. Yeah, you won't get the girl or the castle. <laughs> you have the chance of getting something better on both fronts. Goes All you back... have to do is come with me. On Goes back to an old Mario. Your princess is in the other castle. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, I like that. It'd be funny to do a little a little Mario meme with Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's Just brilliant. Right there, Jamie turns into Toad. Your princess is in the Bowser. That's pretty funny. Uh, yep. Uh, so, Lalas is going to go to Sir Willis Bracken. Have we met him? Do we know who that is? I don't believe so. It sounds not familiar. Yeah. Poor Lollis, some Lollis though. She's of some kind. She's gonna be so heartbroken. She could have had Braun and she's got some reject. Oh well. She got to yep. meet La- Jamie Lannister. She was happy. She did. About that. She was she was she was smitten. very thrilled by this. Yeah, she's like, ooh. <laughs> Until he told her to run along. <laughs> now run along, dear. Oh, okay. It's just no not okay. She stood there for a couple seconds more and he's like, Alright, go. <laughs> Leave. So yeah, she she runs off um, as a good wife in Westeros does. Listen to her husband, especially when he's a killing machine. Nice save there. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I try to make sure I uh, made that applicable to the show and not the real world. Um, and wait, scene, we end up somewhere else. We do. We end up in Dorne. I'm getting you. I swear, I'm in the process of cutting to the scene, and you tell me to cut to the scene. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, so we are introduced to the water gardens of Dorne. We are introduced to Doran, who is, um, what's his face's brother? There was some creativity in the naming. Dorne and Doran. Oberyn, yeah. Oberyn, Prince Oberyn, Martell, right? Martell? Martell. Martell. Yeah. So Dor- uh, Doran, Martell, and, uh, I'm pronounce this poorly, I'm sure, Alaria. Yep. Now... Are we to perceive Alaria as Oberyn's wife or one of his many mistresses? She is a paramour, as he described her um, when he first arrived at the capital for King Joffrey's wedding. So that's the same one that was with him in in King's Landing? Yes. Okay. Uh, And she is a sand. We were introduced to it. We knew that from last season. And she says that, um, you know, all the sand snakes, which are Oberyn's bastard daughters... 
are with her in willingness to revolt against the capital for the murder of Oberyn and their sister. This is pretty serious. Yeah. And Doran, uh, <laughs> clearly being maybe one a little more logic, says that it's not murder if he dies in a trial by combat. That kind of comes with the territory. He kind of, uh, you know, well, how do I say this? Gave up for it? Um, pledged for it? Yeah, yep. I mean, he opted he... for trial by combat and he lost. That's not murder. That just sucks. Yeah, I, um, I don't think Ilaria is used to uh, Oberyn losing. Yeah, right. <clears throat> it didn't quite go the, exactly the way they had planned. Yeah. But we get to see uh, Marcella walking through the water and gardens with Doran's son, who she has been pledged to. And they seem happy. They seem like they're not hating each other. <laughs> but as Alaria says, to what's going on. Exactly. Um, this Lannister girl is in their home, eating their food, breathing their air, while the Lannister kin are killing Martell's left and right in her mind. Yes. So, sad story for Dorne. And then we cut back to Marine, where uh, Dario Naharis is leading Grey Word and uh, some other uh, Unsullied to try to track down some of the Brothers of the Harpy. Dario points out that points out that only if you understand fear can you think in a way of someone who's fearful. Have you ever seen a wall bleed before? Uh, <laughs> I have now. Yeah. Hearing it scream is kind of an interesting trick. It is. <laughs> Master magician Dario Naharis. That's right. Every Tuesdays and Thursdays <laughs> at Caesar's Palace. Sunday nights on HBO. Uh, I believe it would be um, the Luxor as the Luxor Pyramid, and they're in a pyramid in Marine. See, really? See, oh, sorry. He's not together. a head, headliner for uh, Bravos. <laughs> not in Bravos. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. He's not a headliner for Bravos. Otherwise, he'd be at the, the coin capital of the world. So they That's capture right. this uh, this son of the harpy. And we get some pretty interesting dialogue at what we can assume is the council for Daenerys. You have uh, the former slave who is preaching about the mass, former masters only know blood. Fair trial means nothing to them. Mercy means nothing. And uh, we have Barristan trying to preach a little bit more logic and showing that you could be a better ruler than what these people are used to and what the people who are trying to overthrow you are. Even the Mad King hold trials. Yeah, well, but what he was pointing out is that the Mad King kind of did what he liked, and each time he felt more right and more powerful, but that didn't may mean that he was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. He was doing it for him. Uh, to which she gets a little education, you know. She thinks that's all malicious lies by the Lannisters and and uh, people that were against the Targaryens. And Selmy has to say, you know what? I was there for all that. And um, they're not lies. Your dad was a prick. So it's it's interesting here, though. And we're in Marine Visit A. We're going to revisit Marine later. Yes. Um, but between A and B... We're seeing the struggle here. You know, it's great to conquer and just march on through. And, and there's a different set of rules when you're at war. And now trying to maintain a civilized city and, and seeing that. Um, it takes more to rule than just being present. Yeah. You know, um, Viserys didn't really educate Daenerys much. I mean, he belittled her and then and sold her, her off to Drogo. Yes. And the, uh, you know, the, the Kalasar is a very different place with a very different set of rules. And now she's trying to blend um, what the little harshness she knows of, the of... What little she knows of Westeros and her experiences on the Kalasar and these reformed slaves and slavers and you know, it's not as easy as it looks and no, she it's... has no experience. 
That's correct. And that's actually just in talking, it made me think back to season one with Robert talking to Ned saying that, you know, winning the Iron Throne is easy, but maintaining it, that's that's the burden. That's the hard yeah. part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in Marine here, we have this strong debate between trial and just blood for blood execution. And there's some conflict there. While staying in the continent or country of Essos, we get to visit our two favorite comedians, <laughs> Varys and Tyrion, once again in a box. Tyrion's you know, not happy. This is getting old. <laughs> Tyrion's he's not pushing his shit through the holes and stuff. <laughs> That's true. He might be. You don't know how long that ride is, and I didn't well, see a privy pot. Well, there's probably like one like small room in the back where it just drops on the road. It's like a plane. Isn't it? I'm just imagining if you were on a horse behind the, the carriage and you plop, plop, and you're like, oh, avoid that one. It's worse than horse shit. It is worse. The horses have active uh, steering assist for that. But yes, we... Uh, yeah, that... Ver- Varys points out that, you know, the... The world sees eunuchs and dwarfs as, uh, what 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 repulsive? was the term? Repulsive, and in turn, they see the world as repulsive. So they hide themselves in a box, whether figuratively or practically, but are never really satisfied with the box. Now, Varys says they're going to Volantis because that's where the road to Marine is. Now. When I first watched the show, I took that to mean purely a physical junction in the road. You got to go to one to get to the other. Yep. But in watching it again and into doing a little bit of research, I'm wondering if when he says the road to Marine isn't maybe more figurative. If maybe they're looking for a guide or an advisor or someone to help them on their path. So much I can't say. Um, you're a <laughs> son of a bitch. You know that. <laughs> did you get any of that, Wade? But did, did you both? Did you just see it as it's a junction in the road, and they've got to get to one before they get to another? Well, it's always with mystery for me. And not it's Varys. Knowing, and it's Varys. So it's like, I'm just gonna sit back and see what happens. Well. This is purely a um, assumption and a hope. This comes from. Um, essentially no prior knowledge. I mean, I, I have forgotten what little I know about books four and five. Um, but there's really only one person who has had, I'll say this carefully, uh, not a relationship with, but, uh, is, is involved or had been involved with Daenerys, who's no longer in her good graces, giving her counsel who might reside in Volantis for the time being. Ooh, Ooh. speculation. I speak, of course, of Jorah Mormont. Um, Again, this is purely speculation, but maybe he comes back into the fold and uh, helps maybe... maybe Betray her again. I mean, sorry. He'll never have that. I mean, Dario's got that. But maybe... Tyrion and Varys help reunite the two and in turn open the pathway for themselves. Back to King's Landing. We uh, were greeted with a a friendly face plopped down on a table. (laughs) It's Tyrion. No, 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 it's it's a dwarf with a scar across its face, though. So so we find out that Cersei is promised a noblehood. Noblehood? Lordship. Lordship. Thank you. Anyone who brings her Tyrion's head is promised a lordship and land. So everyone is out killing dwarves. Yeah, it's kind of open season now. It is a little bit. And even she said that just because these guys brought her the wrong head, she didn't want to punish them because she doesn't want to sway any other hunters. She wants everyone out there in full force hunting... Tyrion down. Even if that means there's some uh, innocent dwarves hurt in the process. I don't think Cersei much gives a shit for that. Yeah. She already sees Tyrion as a monster. She's like, oh, yeah, what is she going to see all the other ones that are not related to her? 
Um, and we get kind of an interesting little quirk from former Maester Kyburn, who requests the head for his own experiments. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of dark. He's got some secrets, I think. I mean, we know he was stripped of his Maester chain for his um, malpractice, so to speak. It's <laughs> a nice way of putting it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Unusual but, experiments. But clearly... <coughs> That hasn't stopped him from his curiosities. So well, technically, he's like, "Well, screw it. I don't need to hide it anymore. Yeah, what what do I have to lose? What? I've already been stripped of my title, so fuck it." Oh, and that's the thing, you know. They stripped him of his chain, but that didn't remove his knowledge. Exactly. It didn't remove his curiosity. No, exactly. So we transition from this uh, cellar-esque room to the small council. She's, uh, Cersei's got some appointments to make. And some... And some relatives to piss off. Yeah. She's stacking the deck and pissing people off. Yeah. You know, um, there's a really good confrontation here between her and Uncle Kevin. But before that, uh, we have a lot of ass kissery going on. Uh, everyone wants to be the hand of the king, and she's giving, um all of the small council new responsibilities. Uh, Lord Tyrell uh, was former master of ships and is now master of coin. And he's pretty, he's pretty smug with his new title. He kind of sat up straight and kind of lifted his well, chin. Thank you. Oh, um, the king noticed how good I am at spending money. Yeah. Grand Maester uh, Pycelle says that it's been customary in the past that the Grand Maester step in as the hand. Twitch Cersei pretty much talks right over him because she doesn't respect the goddamn thing he says and appoints Kyburn as the Lord of Whispers. She that wants... didn't sit well. No. Pycelle's <laughs> pretty pissed at, that Kyburn's getting any sort of respect or titles given that he has uh, quote-unquote disgraced the Citadel. Um, Citadel with his, I'll say it again, malpractice because it sounds fun to say, and I'm pretty proud of myself for saying it. It's a big word for you. I know. It's got multiple syllables and, like, the legal and stuff. And then Cersei and tries to appoint her uncle Kevin as the uh, master of war, and her uncle sees right through her bullshit. I think this unnerves Cersei a little bit. Just well, yeah, judging no from the reaction, she's not used to... I guess it was only Tywin that pushed back on her at all. Well, I suppose Tyrion did a little bit, but he played along. Yeah, but she felt she could overpower Tyrion, so it didn't get to her as much. But Kevin really gives it to her. I don't recognize you or your authority. I'm here to serve the king. She tries to almost guilt trip him, blackmail him. Oh, I see. You're not going to listen to your king. No, 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 no. I will listen to him. And if he decides he wants to speak to me, I'll be happy to listen to him. But I'm not going to put up with your shit. Yep. He can send, he can, he can send for me in <clears throat> Cashley Rock. Yep. Yep. If the king wants me here, the king can tell me so himself. <laughs> I do not respect your authority. You are the queen mother and nothing more. Kind of a slap in the face. Yeah, totally a slap. And no one's done it up until now. And she is not happy with that. I guess she has one more name to add to her nightly prayers. <laughs> <laughs> and with uh, with the dark of night, we travel north to the wall. Gilly, our our favorite bucktooth wildling, uh, being taught to read by the princess Shireen. I think this is really sweet of her. It seems like Shireen has a a really big heart. Well, I think we saw this in last episode, too, where they showed her and her mother watching um, a Mance Raider Mance burn. Raider. Yeah, I mean, her mother was kind of smirking that, you know, one more infidel, so to speak, uh, she was is being kind of put reveling. to death. Whereas Shireen, she's got a little bit more of a heart, like you said. She's She doesn't find the joy or the see the purpose in a lot of this. I wonder how much of this has to do with her suffering. 
And that's a good point. I think that's kind of where they're going with this, which is important to say that this is a big uh, variant from the books. In the books, Shireen did not have grayscale. It was a um, a jester that kept her company or something like that. No, she had it. I don't think she... Did she? Yeah. Oh, then there was a whole jester role, though, that they cut out that I remember. I remember vividly yes, there, there was a jester. there is a jester that... Um, Apparently it's not important in the show. Not at all. So, um... Sam's reading on about the fir- or the youngest uh, Lord Commander, who was a Stark, appointed at age 10. And Gilly, you know, is kind of giving him grief about all the grief that he's been giving her about not being able to read or lack of practice. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have a lot of patience for her. Yeah, and I mean, it's <clears throat> tough. He's he's a highborn. He, he was taught to read early on. Obviously not as early as Shireen, who was taught to read at three. Uh, Sam was pretty surprised by that. And then Shireen's mom comes in and says, you need to stay away from all the wildlings because your dad just killed their king and they might try to hurt him by hurting you. She's not wrong. I mean, you don't want to put your kid in harm's way, even though you don't really care about your kid. You care about, you know, Stannis. I, I'm not seeing the flaw in her logic. Yeah, we see her as crazy most of the time, but I think on this front, even though we know Gilly to be trustworthy, um, doesn't mean that they do. So right. it's important and, to know. You know, there's, unfortunately, for Shireen, there's another set of rules that comes along with being the child of a king. That's right. <clears throat> you don't oh. get to hang out with just everybody. That's right. Now we do get a little bit more education on Grayscale, as Gilly says that she had two sisters who were afflicted, and apparently it spreads body wide and turns you primal. According yeah, to this, what she was saying about her sisters. I I wonder where they're gonna bring this in later, hint hint. Um It should be interesting. It should be indeed. Uh, speaking of interesting, we, uh, from last episode, we thought John was going to get quite the lashing from Stannis for putting Mance out of his misery instead of letting him burn as sentenced. That didn't quite go according to that plan, did it? He got kind of a slap on the wrist. I don't even think he got a slap. I think he just got a finger waved at him. And then, oh, by the way, I need you to have the last name of Stark. So if you pledge yourself to me... I'll, I'll proclaim you as a, a legitimate child of Ned Stark and appoint you Lord of Winterfell. This is a tough one for John because he's always wanted to be a legitimate child. Yeah, the Lord of Winterfell I don't think was nearly as important as becoming a Just Stark. Just the name, yeah. Um, well, he... Being seen as his father's son. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, you know, Rob was always going to be Lord of Winterfell, so... And Rob and John got along so well. I, I don't think that would have ever crossed his mind to preempt Rob. No, agreed. <clears throat> but um, yeah, to be John Stark, he, it's a uh, tough choice. It's a tough choice. Um, and we see that he wrestles with this for a little while and points out to Sam that look, I took a vow, I I said the words, I I expressed my oath. And if I don't take that seriously, what kind of leader or lord would I be by forsaking those to pursue this other venture? And I think this is an interesting transition, and we get where where and why Sam was researching um, the history of the commanders of the Night's Watch. Yes, Sam had a little... uh, Sam was scheming. Yes, so that brings us into our next scene where uh, John is is wrestling and has kind of made up his mind that um, Stark is not for him, or at least Winterfell is not for him. And we come into the mess hall where it is election time at it the Night's is Watch. election time at the Night's Watch, split up until this point between two, Sir Alistair Thorne, the prick, and Sir Dennis <laughs> Malister, who... We haven't really had any interactions with. We find out he ruled over one of the other castles on along the wall and uh, kept it running and kept the wildlings at bay while at his post. 
he's been at the wall for a long time and not many much more deserving than that. So I find the numbering here interesting and I'm curious how this comes back later. Okay. Because, well, <clears throat> obviously George Martin could have picked any number he wanted to, right? You're talking about the title or which Lord Commander is being voted upon? Yes, so he the is quantity? the 998th. That's correct. You know, I'm just curious why he picked so close to a thousand and didn't pick a thousand. You know, with all the miraculous things in, in the Stark family's life. Um, you know, with Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven and John and the Wall and the Direwolves and, 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 and. Sure. I almost would have thought there would be some significance to him being the thousandth commander. You know, this grand even number. But 998. It makes me wonder if he's got something up with that. Uh that's an interesting point. I didn't really uh, dig too deep into that aside from realizing that, wow, that's really close to a thousand and you have to take into consideration, you know, it's tough to say how long a Lord commander reigns. We don't know how long Mormont was a commander. Um, is it 10 years? Is it 50 years? You know, if you did an average, uh, the night's watch has been around a long fucking time. Yeah. And they've been thousands uh, of years. What's that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you were to average that each Lord Commander was an average, you know, reigned ten years, we're nearly at a thousand Lord Commanders. That's ten thousand years of Night's Watch. Yeah. Which, damn, Westeros has got a long ass <laughs> history. They haven't even yes, developed a rifle yet. Um. So Sam shows a backbone. Not only that does he weird. speak up in front of a crowd, he has the audacity to call out uh, Alistair Thorne's right-hand man, I forget his name, the weasel, uh, call him out on hiding in the storeroom with Gilly and the baby, um, points Stand, out that... Standing in a puddle of his own making. Uh, standing in a puddle of his own <laughs> making. He doesn't disrespect Thorne. He says he fought admirably. There's no denying that. But when he was injured... John was the one we turned to. John was the one who took up yeah, the reins. He put his life on the line on multiple occasions. He's the one who Mormont chose and who was willing to uh, avenge Mormont, hearing of his passing. Uh, he is he is the one that we look to for leadership. And that swayed enough of the crowd away from Thorne as it was a tie vote. What were you going to say, Wade? Uh, nope. <laughs> I wasn't to say anything. It oh, okay. Clear my throat. I, I'm sorry. I thought you started to speak up and Garrett did his talking. <laughs> so we end up with a tied vote. Yep. Tied vote. I would like to point out though that uh, Maester Eamon got a little bit of a smirk when Sam uh, <laughs> was pointing the finger. Uh huh. That was. Uh, he was quite enjoying that. He, he was. He's seen enough bullshit for a blind man. Yes. And, with and that, so he cast the deciding vote. Yep. The no surprise here. Lord Commander of the Night's Watch is... Ba, 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 Jon Snow. Snow. Uh, no surprise, obviously, on his voting, because we see that in Season 1, when Jon goes to the Wall, that Maester Aemon does confess that, yes, he's a maester, but he's also a Targaryen by blood. And you see some heart-to-heart -heart with them about making the tough choices on oath versus love, etc. So uh, it's safe to say that was uh, no surprise. Agreed. And we go back to Bravos, Arya hunting pigeons. Apparently she does quite well. You know, that was a really a slick stroke. A quick swipe of the sword and off with its head. She is in the wrong franchise. <laughs> she uh, definitely has been practicing her dancing, water dancing. Water dancing, that's right. <clears throat> um, and then she's and... confronted in an alleyway. <laughs> she's got a lot of spunk. 
she does. And again, back to your comment earlier, I'm not sure if she is truly unafraid or she's trying to tell herself that she's unafraid. Right. Um, But yeah, she confronts all three ruffians and, you know, informs them that the sword will do them no good when they're dead. That's right. And a skirmish is about to break out when... Our, the doorman of the, the, <laughs> the doorman of the house steps out of the shadows. Yes, the house of black and white. And they scatter. They, this guy this guy obviously uh holds some power. People know who he is. Now, that's another thing. The house of black and white's gotta have some freaking influence if any man from Bravo sees that iron coin. Knows exactly what to do with it and would do it without question. So that's like, have you ever, um, how, what have I seen it on? Like store loyalty cards or, you know, more importantly, you know, drop it in any post office box, uh, postage guaranteed, you know, we'll take care of you. Just get it back to us. Yeah. It's kind of like that. If you're carrying one of these coins, just go ahead and bring them to us. We'll, We'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. But it didn't sound like they do rewards anybody because he just dropped her off at the door. It's not like he was there to claim a reward or anything. It was just, if you're from Bravos and you see an iron coin, that's what you do, period. There, no questions. Well, m- move on a little bit because I want to revisit this, but not until we... Okay, fair enough. So Arya follows back our gatekeeper back to the House of Black and White. She asks some key questions, and we get a visit from an old friend. Yes. Jack and Hagar, once again. Uh, I say the name only because that's the name we associate with the face. <laughs> that guy. But he proclaims that a man is not Jack and Hagar. A man is no one. And that is exactly who a girl must become. So, this is where I wanted to get. The reward of bringing somebody with an iron coin to the house of black and white is you don't die. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we've seen the things that Jack and Hagar or, or, or this man that is no one can do. Yes. In, in a maximum security prison, he could sneak out and murder the named names and sneak back into his cell and nobody had a clue. Precisely. So if you're carrying an iron coin, your reward is you don't die today. But then the question is, how does anybody know? You know, if I'm in Westeros and someone shows me an iron coin for the the house of black and white and I kill them or leave them there, how does the house know? Do you want to risk that? <laughs> <laughs> and we return. There's a lot of power in propaganda. There's only one that's, person. That's true. There's that's only true. one person to black and white. And he's the only one who gets out the coin. So he's like, I didn't give you one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a plausible uh, concept, supposedly. Um, so Arya enters into the House of Black and White. And we return to Marine. Brad, I'll let you uh, run through this one. Sure. So um, the former slave on Danny's small council has decided that he is able to read between the lines, and Danny really wants to uh, deal with the son of the harpy, but she can't. Her hands are tied by politics and by law. So to help her out, to do her a favor, he takes the son of the harpy out and quite brutally nails him to the wall. Yes. I mean, Mask and all. Yeah. The words kill the masters on the, written in yep. blood on the written side. Written in blood on the wall. Kill yeah, the picked masters. a good wall to nail him to. Yes, he did. Scouted it. So, Danny's pissed. <laughs> yes, she is. He has taken the law into his own hands, and, and she is struggling with this. Um, obviously, the speech from... Uh, Salmi has sunk in. She is really trying to learn how to do right, how to rule correctly, and now she's faced the dis- with the decision of having a 
definite lawbreaker on her hands of murdering one of her prisoners. And so she passes judgment that he is to die. He is to die. The law (coughs) is the law. So she orchestrates essentially the entire city to come together under her um, permit stage permit, so to speak, and expresses that there was a man held awaiting trial and this man murdered him and the punishment is death. We hear a lot of chanting from one side of the crowd. For mercy. For mercy. To which she, uh, for sake of argument, uh, disregards that chanting and carries out the task at hand. It is amazing how quickly the attitude of the crowd changed. It is. It is. It's kind of seen is that, oh, they're happy to be free, but, oh, wait, now there's laws you have to obey. I think from the slaves, they thought that Daenerys came and freed them and that she was on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she just killed a former slave, so she must be on the master's side. And so there's a, I think the, the slaves feel that there's a betrayal there. Well, they, yeah, and then you can speak back at the council with hers is that the slave, former slave that she had killed very much brought up that point because it's they don't know this it's only blood with them yeah it's you know black or white but apparently it's only blood with the slaves too correct um it's important to point out here though that really this action against this former slave was not um it was more an action to show the masters that look i'm not just for them this guy broke a law uh, and a direct command and his punishment is death. Just because he's a slave doesn't mean I'm going to let him free. Um, there, there are penalties for everybody and, and he's just as much a citizen as anybody else. So she's, she's trying to play that fine line of following the rules, showing everybody that the rules apply to everybody and it's not exactly winning the crowd over in this instance. I mean, the slaves are revolting. Former slaves are revolting, causing mass chaos. Well, you know, it's that old concept that justice is supposed to be blind. It doesn't matter who the offender is or who the wronged party is. Correct. The law is the law, and you enforce it evenly. Yes, and that's what she's trying to do. <laughs> it's just not being well-received. Well... It kind of, the the way the scene closes, it kind of looks like she's got a civil war on her hands. Yes, yes it does. Which brings us to the final scene of this episode. Some of the best CG work I think any of us have ever seen. Agreed. Yep. Daenerys is in her, her room, apparently. How she he hears know? a knock outside, and she is greeted by a familiar face. Aww. A little scaly. A little scaly face. Drogon perched above the pyramid saying, Hi, Mom. Look how big I got. Yeah, he doesn't stick around, though. No, but he's definitely nowhere near as hostile as Viserion or Rhaegal were. Well, he hasn't been chained in a dungeon for goodness knows how long. Also true. That'll do that to a person. Or (laughs) Or to a dragon. But, I mean, just the way they do this, man, I was just awestruck by the CG work here. The interaction level, it wasn't just looking at a green screen. There was depth to it. There was the right amount of shading, all that. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Bravo, HBO. Bravo. So I don't know that they are funded by Bravos, but eh, good guess. Yeah, well, maybe. The Iron Bank reaches far and wide. (laughs) What were you going to say, Wade? (laughs) Garrett said Bravo on it. Os. Yes, oh, exactly. Um, yeah, the, the the quality of this is just amazing. Um, at the risk of reaching a little bit into our abundance of not podcast, it, it's kind of a 
slap in the face to all the other networks. Look, you can have a subscriber base that will fund you directly and you can do amazing stuff. It doesn't quite work out for some of their direct competitors, though. No. They're not quite pulling out all the stops as much as HBO and Thrones are. Yeah, but those, yep. those shots, it's like, here, feel the world. Yep. This yep. is like, for the others, it's like, person, 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 person. <laughs> okay. Next and episode. Scene. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, person, and this is where they are. Feel it. Feel it. Drink Love it in. It. Rev- revel it. Don't look up the Titan skirt, but whatever. <laughs> and with that. that. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good a point as any, I suppose, to wrap this up on. Uh, we do appreciate you guys for listening. And uh, do let us know what you think on Twitter or Facebook. And follow up with some of the episodes with some of your favorite thoughts. Tweet us with hashtag Abundance Thrones. And we'll read some of those shout outs on the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. We'll see you then. Fala Morgulis. <laughs> <laughs>